Psalm 51. I want to talk to you today about your attempt at trying to earn God's approval. The reality of our series, as you can see, it's called You Are Known with the Unscratched Out, because so often in life it can feel as if we aren't known. Maybe your parents are busy on business trips, or your teacher doesn't seem to care about you, or your friends just don't seem to get along with you anymore. Things are just kind of like, do I exist in this place? And you feel alone and isolated in a room full of people. It's very common for people to feel unknown. But when we look at the big picture of God's story, we see time and time again how you fit into God's story. Whether you want to or not, the reality is that you fit in there somewhere. We saw in the very beginning in creation that you fit into creation. You are a part of what God saw as something very good that he created. We saw last week when Ryan talked to us about the fall and that it was sin that kept us short of God's glory, and it continues to do so. And today I want to talk to you about what it means to not have to earn God's approval, because so often what happens is we find ourselves doing things to earn the approval of other people. Just a little backstory: the idea behind this is that there was one instance in history, we talked about it last week, where the one sin in the garden kept us separated from God. And so I think what happens is because we acknowledge that sin or because we acknowledge the sin that we're living in, what happens is we actually try to figure out ways that we can work to earn God's approval or to be in right standing with God. It's almost as if there is a payment due each month and we're trying to fulfill that payment by our good works. I'm going to put my glasses on because I cannot see this morning. My eyes are all like hazy and whatnot. But the idea is that you and I have this, this hard task, this hard thing in life that we do to try to earn the approval of other people, whether it's having good behavior in front of teachers and things like that, and you're just like, I want to be the good student, or in front of your parents, like, I want to be the good son, the good daughter, whatever it might be. And I think that we all boil that up to the idea that we know we can't do a work fully to earn God's approval because the work has already been done. But the one thing that keeps us from God is just that one thing. It's just that one small sin that Adam and Eve gave into. It's the one rule that God gave to them, and yet they even weren't able to obey that. How many rules do you have at home? What are some rules in your home that your parents have uh, listed for you guys? Clean your room, take out the trash, pick up after yourself, for the love of God, take a shower, put on deodorant, brush your teeth. Like, there are rules, there are things in your home that your parents have given to you as guidelines in order to live under their rules. When I was 18, my dad came to me and said, hey, you're 18 now, you're an adult. Um, the, the first rule that you break in my house, I'm kicking you out. And I'm like, but dad, I didn't do anything. Like, no, I'm just making sure that you understand that there are rules in my house and they need to be abided by. And there was one rule in God's house and he said, you can have of anything you want in the garden, just don't eat of that tree. And we've heard it before. Anytime we are told we can't do something, what do we want to do? 
the one thing that we aren't supposed to do. Don't cross that line. Oh my gosh, I want to cross the line, right? Like, that's just the, the nature in us to want to go and to go against what's been told. And so the one thing that happens is that the sin that separates us makes us feel like we need to fill the gap with works or attempts at pleasing God. But the reality of that, that gap filling is that Jesus went and did the work for us. He fully, once and for all, came and died for our sins, and that's the one thing that he has done for us. So every time that you feel like you need to make an attempt at following God or working to follow him based on the things that you do in life, that's a lie because you don't have to work to earn God's approval. I don't know if you know the story of the Titanic. I'm sure you do. Um, 1912, the Titanic takes off into the Atlantic Ocean and um, they end up going through a very icy place. And as it's happening, there's a younger gentleman who is one of the radio operators and he was tasked with giving all the different personal messages from the families on board to their families that were back at home. And so he was communicating with those family members, hey, we love you, or whatever they wanted to say to their family back home. As he was doing that, there were other transmissions that were coming in, and they were telling him that, hey, be careful, there are icebergs, you might hit one, be careful. He actually ends up ignoring those and because his duty, his task, was to send these personal messages back home from people on board. And so as he continued to do that, he was diligent, he was working really hard, but he just missed that one thing. That same radio operator came in and he kept saying, hey, you guys are going to experience some very cold weather, some icebergs potentially, be careful. He continued to ignore the message, he didn't tell the crew in time, and in fact, he actually told the radio operator to shut up because he has messages to relay. Um, last time I checked, the Titanic sank and it was because of an iceberg and it was the iceberg that the radio operator was trying to tell him was going to sink their ship. You see, that little transmission made all the difference in the world when it came to the Titanic. There was a story about the University of California, San Diego, a college down here in San Diego a couple hours away. They sent out an email from the wrong database that actually sent out acceptance letters to 48,000 people, even some who didn't actually get accepted, but because someone hit the wrong button and then hit send, it sent it to the wrong people. So 48,000 people think that they're getting into UC San Diego, they're getting acceptance letters. The faculty then has to call um, about 30,000 of them that didn't get in, that had already been rejected, and it was all because of a simple misclick somewhere else that actually ended up causing all the damage. You look at the Space Shuttle Challenger in, in January of 1986. They took off from Florida and 73 seconds into their flight, the rocket blew up and all seven members aboard the rocket died. And it was all because of an O-ring that couldn't withstand the weather conditions that they were going into. It was just a simple miscalculation that kept them from understanding that that O-ring was not sufficient enough to actually help the Challenger get into space. And so what we see as a common theme is that all these 
one little things can create such a great catastrophe, as is the case with our sin. It was the one sin that Adam and Eve created in the garden that created all the catastrophe from here on out. Because every time you and I sin, I think that there is a sense of shame, there's a sense of guilt, there's a sense of embarrassment, and because of that, we then try to earn God's approval by working at our faith, almost as if God is more um, satisfied with the work that we're doing rather than the work that Christ has already done. You have your Bibles open to Psalm chapter 51. And the reason we're doing that today is because I think that this is a great way for us to look at how we should respond to our sin and the attempts that we should be making. Not the attempt to earn God's approval, because you can't, but that you would see how you can respond to sin because the reality is that we're all sinners, we all need grace, and it is a daily struggle for us to identify how to get rid of sin. But let me, let me set the, the story for you really quick. Psalm 51 is a response from King David when he was confronted by his friend, the prophet Nathan. You guys remember King David? He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed because he got Bathsheba pregnant. So not only did he commit adultery, but he also uh, committed murder. And in all of that, David actually didn't see his sin as something that he needed to deal with. He just kind of brushed it away. No one really knew about it. But God revealed to Nathan that this had happened. And so Nathan tells David this story of another man who comes and steals a sheep from the shepherd. And he says, is that guy justified in taking that sheep or should that sheep be returned? And David's like, the guy who stole that sheep needs to die. He stole something that wasn't his. He needs to give it back. And that was Nathan's way of confronting him and saying, hey, guess what? You took something that wasn't yours. You took Bathsheba. She was already married to someone else. And you took her for yourself anyway. You are that thief. And so this is David's response as he is trying to attempt to make things right with God, if you will. Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He's starting with asking God for forgiveness. He's starting with saying, look, I realize what I have done was not okay. And it took Nathan to reveal that to him. But he's saying, blot out my transgressions. You have this steadfast love. You have this abundant mercy. Please get rid of these things. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Let's stop there for a moment. See, he's saying that God delights in truth in the inward being. Anytime that we try to do something of works, it's actually something on the outside that we're trying to earn the approval of God and even the acceptance of others. I don't know if you live in the fear of being rejected by other people around you, but I think that that's how we operate our life a lot of times. We operate our life based on what response we're going to get from friends or peers or things like that. If you've ever shown up to school wearing the wrong shirt, it's like, are they going to actually think that my new first 
day of school shirt is okay or is it going to be mocked or whatever. Like we live with a fear of being rejected by man when we should live in the confidence of God's acceptance. You see, we live so often in the fear of being rejected by man, but we should live in the confidence of God's acceptance. Because God already accepts you, but the point to that is that he doesn't want you to stay the way that you are. And so the way that we help ourselves understand better what we should be about in life is not about the works that we do to please other people or to please God, but to trust in Jesus. He's saying that you delight in truth from the inward being. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about the heart. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was talking to these religious leaders that thought they were good people. Now, I think that there's this misconception in our culture that people think that they're just inherently good if they don't murder, if they don't cheat on their spouse, and if they give to the homeless or help at a homeless shelter or things like that. I think those are things that people constitute as being a good person. But the reality is that even if you don't commit adultery, you've had lustful thoughts. Even if you haven't committed murder, you still had hatred in your heart. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus confronts them and he says, hey, you thought that just actually committing murder was the thing that was wrong with you or just committing the adultery was the thing that was wrong with you. He says, in fact, let me change your thinking. He says, if you've thought hateful things in your heart, you've already committed that murder. If you have lustful thoughts or if you have a lustful heart, you've already committed that adultery. Jesus is not getting at the works that you do, but the motive behind why you are doing it. I don't know what it's like at home or at school or things like that, but maybe you sometimes live for the approval of your parents so that you don't get disciplined. That's not necessarily bad. You get good grades so that your teachers will think highly of you. You do different service projects. You're a team leader on your sports team. And all those things are great, but I think sometimes we have the wrong intentions. As much as we are doing it to help other people, we're hoping that we'll be acknowledged by other people. Oh, look at her. She's doing such a great job. Oh, look at him. He's such a wonderful leader. And our heart's desire is hoping that we would receive that acceptance from other people. We feed off of feedback. Have you noticed that? We feed off of feedback. You post a picture on social media, and if it doesn't get enough likes in the amount of time, what do you do? You delete it, and you start over. There is this thing, apparently, on the perfect time to post to Instagram. And it's, it has to do with all the different time zones in the world. If you post around like 6 a.m., you're going to actually get people um, on the other side of the country or on the other side of the world that are having lunch. And on their lunch break, what do people do? They eat their lunch in one hand and they scroll with the other, right? They do the whole double tap and they make sure they're liking everything. So if you're posting in the morning, you're usually trying to get a, a, a demographic at noon. If you're posting at noon, you're getting a demographic of people who are at home after dinner or whatever. Like these are the things that people are so consumed by that there are blog posts on what time you should post on Instagram so you get the most likes. And I think the reason for that is because we feed off of feedback. We feed off of people liking our stuff. And when you see the little notification come up, you see, oh, who liked, oh, I don't care that they liked it. You, you just keep wanting more and more, and then you get as many as you can, and you want more and more. And I think that that is the, the necessity that we're living with 
that isn't necessary. We're living with this necessity to need to feel wanted and to feel accepted and to feel like we belong in this place. But God is saying, I've already made you a part of something greater than this. Because what happens when you get that feedback and you have reached that peak, you're, you want more. You're getting a brand new phone and that something happens to that phone or a year later another one comes out and it's like, I need the new one now. Like there is this need for feedback. And so what we have here is Jesus getting to the heart of the issue because the heart is the issue. Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue because the heart is the issue. And so David is also saying that in his heart, he is hoping that he is delighting in the truth of God's word. Verse 7 says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This next verse is pretty famous, and I know a lot of people use it as a prayer at times, and maybe you can do that too. Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. I don't know where you are in your relationship to God right now, but here's a reality. It's going to ebb and flow. It's going to go up and down. If you like roller coasters, you know what I'm talking about. Things are really good, and you're excited about the drop, but then as soon as the ride's over, it's like, hey, let's do that again. Or maybe you don't like roller coasters, like me, and you're just kind of freaked out by them, or you get sick on them, because anything that's doing this while you're sitting and your seat is doing that, like, that's not a good mix, okay? It's just like vertigo, like, no thanks, I'm good. And life can be like a roller coaster at times. It's good with God, it's bad with God. You sin, it's not so good. You don't sin, hey, it's not too bad. But see, Jesus is not concerned with the actual action as much as he is concerned with your heart and why that action is taking place. Does that make sense? I know that's kind of a different approach to this, but I think it's necessary for us to see that that's how God operates. He is not so much looking at the deed that is taking place, he's looking at why the deed is happening. If it's lust, it's because your heart is in a lustful place. You've exposed yourself to things that maybe you shouldn't have exposed yourself to. If it's cursing, it's not so much the cursing, it's what has your heart been given to, what has your heart been so involved in that you would just start cursing. See, God is not so much wanting to get a hold of your actions as much as he's wanting to get a hold of your heart. And that's why David says, created me a clean heart. He didn't say, Lord, create in me this clean attitude or this clean uh, action. He says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. You see, I think what we try to attempt to do is to believe that our ability to confess is better than God's ability to forgive. I think that we... We can so often, when we sin, we immediately think like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, and then what do you do? Maybe as a Christian, you pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and it's like, whew, okay, I feel better, that's great. But God isn't wanting so much for you <clears throat> to be concerned with that. He's wanting you to understand that he is after your heart, 
and he is after being the one who can ultimately forgive you. So it's not so much about your ability to confess. It's not about your ability to repent. It's about God's willingness to forgive you. And he says, create in me a clean heart. Cast me not away from your presence, and don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then he says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. See, that's the point of the message here today, is that God is not concerned, excuse me, God is not concerned with your sacrifice. God is not concerned with your burnt offering, if you will. And I think sometimes what we do is we we try to sacrifice things on behalf of God so that other people can see that we're good people or that we follow God or or whatever else it might be. Maybe you give up social media for a little bit, like, I'm just going to sacrifice social media for a little bit. I'm going to sacrifice listening to secular music. I'm going to sacrifice not cursing for an hour, whatever it might be. We, we, we try to sacrifice all these different things as if God's going to be pleased with them. But he's saying, you don't delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. If God delighted in your sacrifices, he would ask for it. But guess what? God doesn't delight in your sacrifice because he already delights in Jesus' sacrifice. What do you have to offer that God hasn't already given What is so great about your sacrifice that it's better than Jesus's? I don't think that's a thing. I don't think that that exists. You and and I have to understand that we cannot give more than what Jesus has already given. We cannot do a work as if Jesus's work wasn't enough. And I think that's what's so great about the comparison between Jesus and other religions. How many of you guys know someone who follows another religion? Mormons? Jehovah Witness, Buddhism, Judaism, whatever it might be, or just downright atheists, whatever it might be. We all know someone who is of a different religion. But here's the thing that keeps Jesus apart from all those religions. Religion is all about works. Religion is all about reaching a certain plateau and feeling some sort of like joy or excitement from those works. I talked to a few Jehovah's Witnesses before, a few Mormons before, and their whole thing is that Mormons specifically go on mission. They leave their hometown and they go to a different city in the United States or across the world or whatever, and they go on mission to tell other people about God. And the more people they tell, the better their standing is with God. That is a works-based religion that says if you work more, you're going to have a better relationship with God. What separates Jesus from all other religions is that God says, hey, that work that everyone else is trying to do, Jesus already did it, and he did it for you so that you don't have to do the work, so that you just receive that free gift and you live in obedience to God. Like, how sick is that to know that, like, hey, all these other religions, do this, do that, and then you'll get this. Jesus, or God says, hey, Jesus did that work so you can have this. Jesus did all the work. You don't have to sacrifice anything for him to get his approval because your attempt will not earn God's approval. Your attempt at pleasing God will not be approved. 
because God already approves of Jesus. You don't have to do a work to fill that gap. And so he says, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise it. See, if there's anything that we should be sacrificing, it's not something so that we can earn the approval of God. It's so that we can recognize who we are before him. There's a difference. I think there's a difference in trying to work to show God how good we are. And I think that there's also a sacrifice on, hey, I trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so I'm going to trust in that for my salvation. And I'm going to live by that. And then I'm going to show others that it's not by my works or by my deeds, but it's by the deeds of Christ. But if there is something to sacrifice, it is my position before God. When you compare yourself to God, what do you see? Do you see God, this perfect, holy person, and compared to yourself, you're like, actually, I'm not too far from God, you know? Like, I think I'm a pretty good person. I think I've got things figured out. I have a few mess-ups here and there, but I think for the most part, I've got this thing figured out. I think when we are honest with ourselves, when we compare ourselves to God, we are actually less than we actually think we are. Because what do we do? We think we're better than we actually are. Oh, I'm a good person. I don't sin, really. When, when was the last time you talked back to your mom? Uh, this morning in the car on the way to church, of all places, right? Sin. Um, when was the last time you disobeyed willingly? Uh, last night when I was told to clean my room or when I was told by my teacher not to do this or that or whatever. See, the thing is, is that we think we are good when we actually aren't. Now, I'm not saying you're not a good person. I'm saying compared to Jesus, you don't compare because Jesus is perfect, because Jesus' attempt was enough. If you turn over to Romans chapter 6, you can turn there, you can just listen. The, the thing that Paul is trying to convey here in Romans chapter 6 is that there was one work done that does not need to be done again in order to have a life in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the death he died, talking about Jesus, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think what happens is we find ourselves alive to sin because the work that we're trying to do is trying to prove to God that we understand what sin is and we're trying to get as far away from it by our works. Like, Lord, I'm not a sinner. I'm trying to get away from that. Don't you see my attempts? Like, I'm doing pretty good. But no, it's saying here we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, I don't know last time you checked, but the word dead means that you're dead. Okay? What, what, what do dead people do? They sleep. Yeah, that's a really long sleep. Um, can dead people work? No. Dead people cannot work. Why? Because they're dead. Right? I mean, it, yeah, it, it kind of sounds like that's kind of morbid and stuff, but it's, it's the reality. It's the truth. If we are dead to sin, those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have a relationship to Jesus, you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. But there was a place before Romans 6 
that says that you are dead in your trespasses. If you're dead in your trespasses, it means that you are dead and that you can't do anything to make it right. Right? We talked about that earlier in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. That one sin was enough to separate us from God eternally. That's why Jesus came into our place to save us. And so if we're dead in our trespasses, it means that our sin has made us technically dead. But we are alive in Christ, which means that Christ himself was the one, the only capable, perfect one, who was able to raise us to life. See, if you're trying to attempt to be approved by God, stop. You're going to make yourself tired. You're always going to be two steps behind. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to fill a gap that Jesus already filled. So what is like the best takeaway for you today is this. Number one, trust. Number two, obey. And number three, repeat. Trust, obey, repeat. If we are willing to trust in God's perfect work through Jesus, you don't have to work anymore. That burden is lifted off and you don't have to attempt to please God because God is already pleased in Christ. And if you believe in Jesus, guess what? He looks at you like he sees his son. Perfect, blameless, and worthy. You don't have to work anymore if you trust in Jesus. But putting trust in something isn't always easy, is it? You have to earn the trust of someone. Maybe you're sitting next to someone right now. You don't even know who they are, but you have to earn their trust. You don't know that person. You're like, hey, maybe we can be friends. You don't just like become best friends and just like spill all your, all your, uh, your drama in front of them. You don't know if they're going to tell anyone. You have to trust them. You have to understand that there is a level of trust that needs to be met, a trust that needs to be earned. At your age, I had a very difficult time when um, I would lie. I would lie all the time. And I would lie to cover up another lie and lie to cover up another lie. Is that just me? Or do you guys do that too? Anyone else? Okay, we've got a few liars in the house. What's up, liars? How we doing? Okay, we we all right? (laughs) So the idea is that I would always find myself needing to remember my story to cover up the lie and to cover it up and to cover it up. And my parents trusted me even in my lies. But all it takes is one lie about your lie to break down all the lies, right? So you said the other day that you were doing this, like my parents being all like FBI on me. Like, so you said you were over here doing this. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, Well, our friends saw you at this other place over here. Oh, no, that couldn't have been me. That was my evil twin. Yeah, for sure. Like, we we all have evil twins, right? And it's like, so how, like, how does that happen? No, 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 your, your friend's weird. Like, they don't know what they're talking about. And you keep lying about your lies, and you keep, like, trying to cover things up. And what does the Bible say? It says that the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. You've heard that statement before. It's actually in Scripture. The Bible says that the truth will set you free. You see, when you continue to start doing all these works to earn God's approval, you're, you're almost like trying to cover up a work with another work and a work with another work. And then finally, it's like, man, I'm, I'm just so burned out. I'm just so tired of having to do all these different works and things like that. And it's only when you believe the truth, which is that Jesus' work is, is complete and perfect and lacking nothing, that you trust in him, knowing that he knows your life better than you know it yourself. 
And so when you trust, it allows you to see the reality of life in a different way. And then when we're able to trust, it, I think that it just naturally brings about an obedience to God or to your parents. When you're willing to trust and to earn trust back, you're willing to obey more because you know what it was like to have to work to lie all the time or to work to earn the approval of someone. But when you acknowledge the, the work that Jesus has already done, it actually causes us to want to obey him. I think a lot of times, especially as young people, we look at obedience to God as something like he's trying to keep me from having fun in my life. And I think that there is a certain level of understanding that because it does seem like the Bible has a lot of rules. Don't commit adultery. Don't, you know, have sex before marriage. Um, all these other things. Like there's a lot of things that we're not supposed to do. And it's like, how could God love if he's not allowing me to do things? Like he's confining me in this box and all I have to do is just praise and worship him all day? Um, it's not as bad as you think. But the obedience isn't so much God keeping you from having fun. I think what obedience does is it keeps us from harming ourselves. Because at your age, it's very easy to believe that you've got life figured out. And I don't doubt that because you're at an age of independence, you're at an age of, of being responsible and things like that, and so you think that you know the world until you realize when you get older and you have kids how much you don't know. And that's just the process of life. So that's why trust is so important. That's why obedience is so important. And that's why it's so important to repeat that over and over and over again. Because when you don't trust in God, when you're not willing to obey God, you're going to find yourself trying to be like God or trying to work to earn God's approval. But that's not what he, that's not what he desires. He doesn't delight in a sacrifice. The only thing he delights in is seeing him for who he is. Seeing him as a savior, seeing him as the one who sacrificed himself for your sins. I think that's the important thing to understand this morning is that your attempt will always fall short because we are imperfect people. But God's sacrifice through his son Jesus is always perfect and complete, and it lacks nothing, and it's always good for whatever it is that you're dealing with in life. And let me leave this with you, Romans six fourteen. It says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You know what grace is? Grace is knowing that you deserve something and you don't get it. Knowing that you deserve to be punished, but your parents give you what we like to call a second chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you another opportunity. I'm going to give you another chance. That's like, wow, I deserve to get everything taken away from me. I deserve my phone to be taken away. I deserve a spanking if you get spanked still. Um, the Bible says you should spank your kids because it's, it's a biblical thing. Um, Maybe you deserve that, but you don't get it. And it's like, hold up, like, I deserve that. Don't I deserve to have that taken away? Don't I deserve to be treated like that? That's what grace is when you're not treated like that, when you're given another chance. Be thankful not only for the other chance that you get from your parents, be thankful for the second chance under grace, what Jesus gives to you. He says, man, you screwed up big time. Wow, I can't, like, man, that was, yeah, that's a bummer. But here's, here's grace. But do we take for granted the grace that we've been given just so we can continue to sin? That's what the book of Romans says, and it, we shouldn't be people who do that. 
We should be thankful for the grace that we've been given, and we should go and share that grace with others so that they can experience what it's like to have a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and so on and so forth. But let me pray for you because I think that there are people in here, and maybe I'm speaking to you, who you've, you've tried to work for God's approval. You've tried to earn God's respect. All the while, if you would just trust in Jesus, if you would just believe that his sacrifice is good enough, that you don't have to sacrifice anything anymore. You trust, you obey, you repeat. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your death on the cross. Jesus, we know that without your sacrifice upon that cross that we could not have the forgiveness of our sins. And even if we didn't have your sacrifice and we tried to work for it, it still wouldn't be good enough for us to have that relationship to you. So I pray for anyone in here who maybe has been tempted to do a work to please you or they've attempted to try to earn your approval. I pray that they would stop doing those works. That one, they would see that the burden would be lifted, but that they would see the freedom that comes from trusting in you. So Lord, in this place, we give you this time. We ask that you would convict us and that it would cause us to confess our sins to you and that we would just give it to you, Lord, and 